Ladies and gentlemen, Flamingo Sundays episode. What episode are we up to, Sammy? Seven? Six? Six. Anyway, whatever episode we're up to, I think it's episode six. And it's the Corona series, this one. We're, uh, we're actually sitting in hand with the Corona. We're social distancing. I'm, uh, I'm joined by a very good friend, serial entrepreneur, and just all around good bloke, Tristan. Mate, welcome. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. Mate, absolute pleasure. So, mate, we've been friends for probably two years now or something like that. Um, and I think what people are going to get a lot of benefit out of this episode is you've navigated your business through a GFC. Um, you now help startups scale. And what you're doing currently is helping businesses maybe unscale or descale, whatever you call it, through these times to navigate them. So I think as we get to the end of the podcast, we're going to give people some gold around what they should be doing and how they should be thinking. Um, but mate, to, to let everyone know where you've been and what you've done, mate, give us your 30-second story. I'll try. Yeah. I'll do my best. So I'm um, a Kiwi originally. Um, lived in Australia for the last 13 years. Right. Um, so started off working in a family business from a young age, hanging out with my mum and dad. So I've always been around business. I can remember going to the factory with my father at three or four years of age. What sort of business was you? Uh, joinery, so the aluminium okay. joinery, manufacturing. So we lived in a small town, probably similar, you know, up the central coast, right. 50,000 people. And our family, uh, my mother and father were the second largest employer on the coast. So, so quite a big business in that Yeah, it, yeah right. definitely. So I've always been around it. And um, uh, I suppose, you know, through my 10 years, um, got to know it a little bit more, I had to go and work during the holidays, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but sort of fast forwarding through that, um, I got involved with the business with my business partner, um, who I'm still in business with today, where we started a shop and marketing company, which is essentially designing and fitting out retail stores. Right, okay. And we uh, grew that from uh, New Zealand, which is where I'm from, uh, into Australia, and then up into Singapore. Is that why you migrated to Australia? Yeah, that's what brought me here. I had a rather large client at the time, uh, remember Nokia, back in the day. Right. And they said, look, we'd love you to come and do what you've done for us in, uh, in New Zealand, uh, in Australia. And then they said, done a great job, come and do it for us in Asia. And that's kind of how we grew the business. Right, so talk to me about that business. You obviously grew up, um, you know, in a family business that obviously ignited your um, your fire and your passion for business, and then you've obviously left that business to go out and do something by yourself. What sort of drove you down the path to 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 go into the business you chose to go into? Was it by cho choice or was it by chance? How, how did that all unfold? Uh, no, it's a really good question, right? Um, I guess of circumstances. So. Um, I love playing cricket and I was a fairly useful cricketer right. and I, for three years I went backward and forward to the UK and played semi-professionally basically having a good time you and then my dad said to me after the yeah you know I'm going to go back again he went no you need to get a real job <laughs> yeah um, so that's kind of and they had a sign and display business which was part of another part of the company they had and they just said you need to go and work so start there and I thought this is really cool and then I just did all the jobs literally from sweeping the floors and eventually realised I could sell and started selling and then got exposure to a whole lot of different parts so really fortunate right and then you know uh, working in a family business has its challenges um and i can that's another whole podcast but um i'm I, sure a lot of people working in family businesses currently can relate to that yeah it makes it spe especially tough when you're living and working together yeah um and you're under pressure so um yeah that, like i said that's another whole uh whole, whole, whole podcast whole conversation that's flamingo monday is that one <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so um but at the time, decided we want to do our own thing. So we stayed within that, that sort of 
area of sign and displays, but got into literally designing display stands and then clients said, could you do a shopping shop? Then could you design a whole shop? So display stands, you mean like you're walking through a shopping center and you've got like a... Corona stand. Yeah, okay, right. So you designed all those sort of things. And then it grew from that to... Shopping shops. So imagine a small little display area. Like a pop-up shop sort of thing inside a shopping center. Yeah, or like you walk into a a Harvey Norman's and there's a a space there for Sony or the, 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 the Apple discs. So you designed and set up all those and things. built them, right? And then that grew into doing the whole shops, the whole the whole shebang bang. And then we got into uh, retail analytics, video analytics, how people move through the store. Um, so go into that a little bit. That's I think people find that fascinating. So um, I when I found this out, I found it very fascinating. So what people don't realise, and you can elaborate more on this, that the things aren't just placed in a shop. You don't, they just don't go, oh, we're going to put the DVD section there, we're going to put the TVs there, that's strategically placed. Can you elaborate on that, on why and how they yeah. do that? Look, I know you're in you know, uh, real estate, so yeah. the most expensive real estate in the world is retail. So Fifth Avenue, the Chandeliers say you pay per square foot more than any other piece of real estate, including some of the most like high-rise financial yeah. type stuff. So when you think about that in a store, right, every square foot of space in that store has to give a return on rent and overheads. So um, if you look at a supermarket, we did a lot of work in supermarkets, there is a reason that milk's normally placed at the back. It's called a long loop, and we want you to run in there, go to the back of the store, and while you run past that, you go, oh, I need that, oh, I need that, and you increase your basket size. That is, did you know that? That's so fascinating, huh? You know, I, I don't Crazy. think anyone realizes that. People just think, oh, like they put the bread on that aisle because of that reason, and put the fridges at the back probably because it's easier to pipe it up, but it's all strategically it's placed. It's a science. Oh, right. Where the fuck's that? <laughs> <laughs> Where, where's the bread aisle? Yeah, right. So you that that was a sort of a side bit that you got into how people maneuver through a shop and you know, if we place this here, they're probably gonna have a bigger chance of Yeah. We design a store, let's find a more optimal scientific way to lay it out using data. Mate, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And then so you brought that to Australia um, and, and you're in Singapore as well, so yep. you're in three continents? Yeah, so things are going really well at that stage, Absolutely. amazingly well. Um, Cash is coming in, yep, you're thinking right. about we've, getting back into your cricket career. We've grown, <laughs> we've, grown, we've grown the business completely organically out of cash flow, no debt. Right. And we're in three countries. Right, which is so, massive. Massive, yeah. Some of your clients included? Yep, so we had lots of different clients, Lion Nathan, um, we had Diageo, um, Nokia, Banks. Nokia, everyone knows Nokia. Yeah. If, if anyone sort of grew up from 2000, I guess, yeah. and previous to that, everyone had a Nokia phone growing up, an E63 and E71, so that, that was a big deal. They were like the iPhone of today, right? Yeah. Big clients. Yeah, and, and I guess, you know, the next part of the story I'm gonna quickly tell you is, um, you know, it was the best of times at that point, but very quickly in 2009, 2010, um, the GFC had hit, and uh, Nokia had just uh, got into some serious problems with obviously Apple coming around. They didn't see it coming. And we got hit with like a triple whammy. Um, and so we had to very quickly restructure our business. We had, um, for the first time, borrowed a whole lot of money to grow the business. We had a massive project we were doing for Nokia, a pilot project. Um, it was worth millions of dollars. And then the prize was to grow this thing and roll it out globally. We were building kiosks and all sorts of interesting pieces of technology. Um, and then I got a phone call one day from Nokia just saying, how much money have we got outstanding with you? And um, we're about to potentially get bought by Microsoft. It's not good. And we're going to cut all on a central marketing spend. And we lost uh, about 60% of our revenue within six weeks. So it was a massive uh, first time really getting uh, hit 
with a major sort of uh, challenge. Right. And the same time we had the GFC going on around us in New Zealand, uh, in Singapore, Australia wasn't as affected at that time, mainly due to the commodities boom. They sort of had this bubble. Um, but yeah, we, we, we had some major pain. And so I guess um, the other lesson from that was, you know, Nokia was one of the top 10 brands in the world at that time. Um, and uh, within months, they were, they were gone. So there's some lessons in there around, um, doesn't matter how big you are, doesn't matter who you are, like, you know, unfortunately we've got going at the moment through circumstances sometimes out of your control, stuff goes wrong. 100%. So with all of that happening, um, you want to learn a lot, right? To scale back your business, you lose 60% of your revenue, essentially you've got to scale back your business. You've got a few million dollars in debt and the bank manager rings you and says, uh, there were two oath moments in, in that, Jack. One was Nokia ringing me going, we're over. That was the first one. And the second one was my bank manager ringing us going, your general manager's breached your covenants on your trade facility. He's used it in the wrong way. We're pulling all of your, all your facilities in and you've got literally six months to pay us back a few million dollars. So right. that was the other fuck moment. Um, let's go into that a little bit. We've got, we've got plenty of time together. Um, at that time, you're probably, you know, in the peak of your career, I would have thought. You were, you were buzzing. I'm still peaking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you know, you're growing. You, you would have felt like the king of the world. Yeah. Everything's happening. Um, and then within sort of a three-month period, all of that's happening. How did you, um, one, first learn to, to fucking manage everything? Um, and then two, go, okay, I can't change what's happened. Now, how can I take this to my advantage or at least maneuver through it so I can come out the other side and, and go from there? Like, yeah, good, good questions. Um, well, necessity is the mother of invention. So all of a sudden, uh, things become very myopic and very uh, tunnel vision. So all of a sudden, you go from the world's my oyster and where you know, we're kicking goals to how do I mitigate all of this risk? So it was, it was a really stressful two years. It took us two years to dig ourselves out of the hole. We did it. Um, but I guess um, I, tell, I tell the story you know you become really friendly with the bank manager you know and uh, I likened it to being back at school it felt like I was off to see the principal every now and then to sit down and talk about how probation was going okay now tell us mate how's your financial report yeah, that money how's it going you know and uh, how, how quickly are you getting that back in so yeah it kind of it centers you it grounds you it pulls you back down and um um, you know, my, my key takeouts from that time was um, you've really got to look at all of your costs and overheads and, you know, pull them right back in. You've got to get back to the bare basics of what is this, what are the most essential things that I need to try and keep the lights on and keep it going. Um, you learn a lot about people. You know, you learn a lot about people. Um, when you have money and when you don't have money, you learn a lot about people. And... Um, we had people in our team that I thought, you know, might might leave uh, the ship sooner than others, and others that would be there to the to the loyal bitter end. And some of those people surprised me, and some people I thought that would would leave didn't, and were some of the most loyal people I had. So in these times, you also learn a lot about people and who's you know who's really there and got your back, and you know, others have to do what they have to do. Yeah, right. Um, and then obviously everything that you've just spoken about resonates probably with a lot of people right now with what's happening right now sure a little bit different circumstance and a little bit different problems but i think it's um they're they're, they're both very very similar in a way as well yeah. sure one with the health problem like what we're going through now is to do with health that has a i guess an unplay effect 
that, that makes it financial. Yeah. Um, there probably wasn't a health issue back then, but it's still a massive issue with and it's a lot of unknown and a lot of fear. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you move through that. You then now you're working with startups and, and helping startups grow and probably get funding and everything else they have to go through to to grow. And then off the back of that, now you're helping businesses going through the current climate, how to pull back and how to save money and, and maneuver through these times so they can get out the other side and then scale. So run us through that. Like what, yeah, how, so did that how did, how did that, that business and those issues then lead into what you're doing now? Yeah, so uh, you know, we, got, we got through that. Um, and that's, I think, the first thing, right? I'm here and uh, I'm richer for the experience. In fact, um, I look back now and go, uh, I'm really happy. I'm happier now doing what I'm doing. So, you know, sometimes every uh, dark cloud has a silver lining. Yeah. Um, you do get through it. There it's is hard to see side. that, but right, when, you're, when you're under the cloud. Uh, massively, you know, but, um, you know, it does, light comes on the other side for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Leapfrog Forward, we had the shop analytics business. We spun that off into another uh, company. That was a roll up. Um, that got sold to a publicly listed company a couple of years ago. Um, and then, I uh, decided what I want to, you know, what I want to do next. I uh, didn't want to go back and continue what I'd always done. Um, and my business partner's done an amazing job of growing that business around Asia. Uh, and I so I took a sabbatical, looked after my little fella, which was amazing. Um, and then we got into, because uh, I'm part of EO, which is an entrepreneurs organisation, had a little bit of bandwidth, and they said, "Hey, would you start our accelerator program for us?" And I thought, "Yeah, okay, oh well." So that was working with, you know, startups, businesses, sort of a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Um, helping them trying to scale through to that magic million mark, which is, you know, they say the first million is the hardest. You know, that first sort of get it up, get it going, get get a bit of momentum. The first million is sometimes always the hardest. So working with um, with that group just became really rewarding. I just loved it. It was awesome. I was just volunteering my time, and it kind of reminded me of when I was most happiest was back in that kind of, you know, two hundred and fifty. Yeah. yeah, growing yeah. scale. Just, just before we get any further, touch base on what um, EO is, so Entrepreneurs' Organisation. Yeah. What is that? So that's how I came to, to meet you, is you've got some similar friends and network. Um, so EO is a global organisation. It's about 30 or 35 years old. Uh, it's about 140-odd chapters around the world. So Sydney's a chapter, Brisbane's a chapter. Um, we contribute a trillion dollars to the world economy if you add up all of our revenues. Right. The businesses are between a million and a hundred million US. Is in, sort of a, in turnover? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, How many then, members? Um, there's about 20,000 of us worldwide. So we're, right. you know, we're a significant community. And then uh, if you add up Australia, all the chapters in Australia, we would be in the top sort of 25 companies by gross revenue. So we, we do represent, um, you know, a significant um, representation of, small to medium-sized businesses in Australia. And if you add up Australia, just in Sydney, we are a couple of billion dollars, I think, in, in revenue to the New South Wales economy. So a pretty big deal. Well, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a great representation of um, a whole lot of different businesses across Australia, the world, and, and in New South Wales. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's a good understanding of what that community is all about. Yeah, and it's, so, a, growth, it's a growth mindset. Most, yeah. You know, you've met a lot of them. They're great people, and they just have a growth mindset. They want to learn. You know, they're, they're, you know I think the good thing about EO is, is they're never too old to learn, and um, there's always something to, you know, find out about. Yeah, so you were then helping the, I guess, the, the, the startup EOers get from the startup phase to be able to get into EO. the big boy EOers. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. And so through that... 
got some exposure. I wanted to get into a bit of angel investing. Okay. And I, I, re- I realized maybe my purpose was, uh, I was kind of let up um, when I was working with founders, you know, working with um, people that were sort of starting out and wanting to scale their businesses. So um, I thought, geez, this is kind of interesting. And then through one thing or another, met some other like-minded people, got into a bit of angel investing and then started sort of quasi helping some people connect up with some investors. And it's sort of evolved now where we've got a group that we're bringing a bigger group of professional services companies together um, that all wrap around a startup, an idea, a founder, and help them raise money and go on the journey. So um, yeah, it's exciting times. Right, okay. Um, and then obviously working with those startups, um, it's all about growth, 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 growth. Let's, let's go to the next stage. And then something like this happens, what we're experiencing now with the coronavirus. And, you know, it's very, very hard to grow through something like this. Um, and that sort of, I guess, flipped your role, maybe not professionally, but on a personal level, to now helping people um, scale back their businesses and get through this, right? Yeah, no, it's a good point. So um, I'm a bit of a practitioner in a framework called Scaling Up, which is, um, you know, how do you grow your business in fast growth mode? And so at the moment, we're doing a lot of scaling down plans. Right. And it kind of makes sense, right? I, I When I went through the GFC and our you know dilemma many, many years ago, a decade or so ago, I wrote a thing called a bottom draw plan, which was, you know, go and plan best case scenario, and we all do, and a lot of us do planning around that, more heads, more roles, uh, more territories, more sales. But I always said, hey, just have a plan that if things go the other way, what does it look like? And it's interesting that a lot of people um, you know, I mean, Australia's 30 years without a recession. You know, it's 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 been a long time since. Had a good Australia. run. Really yeah. good run. It's, it's, you know, absolutely. So I always said, just have that plan in the bottom drawer. I hope you never have to pull it out. But if you do, it's there and you know what you need to do. And and for me, if I look back, I wish I'd had that plan long before I needed it. Because when you're in the middle of it, you're not thinking straight. There's a lot of pressure. You know, there's a lot of procrastination. What do I do? How do I do it? If I had a clear plan that just went, when this happens, I'm gonna do that. When that happens, I'm gonna do this. And so um, I've been doing a lot of that over the last two weeks with you know friends of mine, forum buddies, people reaching out going, hey, I know you've been through it, can you help me? And just jump into a room and we just jam it out. And most of them come away from it just going, hey, you know what? I feel better now because I've got some direction. I know what I'm gonna do. Sure, I've got to go through it, but they're clearer about what action steps they're gonna take. So how, like, on a percentage basis or however you want to explain it, how many businesses do you think, or even p- like people, would have that? Like a, you know, everyone- Before going into it or now? Yeah, like, you know, like it, we were talking just before about uh, a statistic we were talking about around um, more than 50% of Australian households had less than 7,000. That blew me away. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you don't think that because it's not your own personal circumstance, but more than 50% of Australian households, that is their circumstance. Um, so that just proves how many people don't have enough money for a rainy day or don't think a rainy day is coming. So if you, were, if you were to put it into a business perspective, how many businesses do you think would have a nice little cash war chest there to say, oh, look, you know, for three months we wouldn't have to worry about earning an income? Um, but ha- if I say a wild guess, there's two things. There's the plan and there's the war chest. So I would say most businesses probably don't have a proper strategic plan to, to grow up. So most have never really thought about what happens when my revenue goes backwards or worse still goes backward at a rate of knots that I can't control. Right. Because it's one thing going backwards slowly over time. It's another thing with what's happened in these... Or unprecedented times. Unprecedented times. We're talking about people losing 90% of their revenue in a month. Overnight. Or two weeks. Or overnight. 
Um, so to answer your question, I would say to you that probably less than 25% of people out there or less business owners would have a scale back plan. And I would say to you that maybe 10 to 15% have a war chest and have planned for a war chest for a rainy day. Right, but everyone talks about it, right? Everyone always talks about whether it's property investing or whether it's business or whether it's personal, have six months of expenses sitting that you don't touch. You know, have three months. Well, even if it's, you know, three months at a worst, like have enough money there where you can go, well, take your hands off everything, nothing happens, and I've got three months, not not to sit back and, and do nothing, but to think, how cushion, can I get through this? Cushion the impact. Exactly. Yeah. And you read those statistics, like more than 50% of Australian households have left the $7, I reckon that's not even a month's worth of spending with mortgage repayments, credit cards, all the, all the normal things households have. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of businesses will be very, very similar. 100%. And, and, and you know, being a part of EO and being a part of the, the business community, you do get to see quite a cross broad spectrum of different types of businesses and it has affected different businesses in different ways. But I would say most of our, um, you know, people that we know out there are reeling from this in some way, shape, or form. 100%. Either directly or indirectly through it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, right now you're obviously working with a lot of people that are feeling a lot of pain, whether they're personal friends or people who have just reached out because I know you've been through something similar. What advice are you giving them? I know it's different for every single business, but there's probably, uh, I guess, a, an overriding um, yeah. you know, common denominator that you're telling these people. Yeah, so um, the first thing I say is, hey, there is light on the other side. I'm living proof and my life's never been better. It sucks at the time, but you will get through this. Right. Time time will pass. The next thing is um, I use DEFCON planning. So are you familiar with DEFCON? And Under the music festival. Okay. So <laughs> how do I know you're going to say that, Jack? So DEFCON, before it was a music festival, right. was the, Can I have another beer, please, was the nuclear uh, status that was given. No, I'm fine, thank you. We're good, hey mate. We're good podcasters here. We operate. Great. We operate as the finest. I feel like we're just like back on the boat. Shoot, we we are. The breeze. Now, unfortunately, you can't do that with Corona. But okay. So sorry to interrupt. Right. Yeah. Um, so no. So right. so in, in in all seriousness, I have a what's called DEFCON planning. So back in the eighties and nineties, where nuclear threats were a problem, the governments would have DEFCON four, three, two, one. Four is something's going on. Someone switched their nukes on, and one is someone's pulled the switch. So they went through what's called DEFCON planning. Green light to red light. Right. So I use DEFCON planning. So DEFCON 5 is BAU, it's all good. Haven't really been affected. Might want to look at your costs a little bit. DEFCON 4, I've been affected somewhat. Look at your costs, trim back, keep your costs in line. See how much you've got in the tank. Tanks, fuel, money. Yeah. Um, DEFCON 3 is literally severe. And then at DEFCON 3, you're going is how can I keep operating this business as a minimal viable business? And for some people, maybe like yourself, that means it could just be you, right? But there's still there's some in- income coming in. For others that like have a trucking business or whatever else and have got 20 trucks, you can only drive so many trucks yourself, right? So exactly. there's a point where business, some businesses aren't viable anymore. I can't run all the printing machines. I can't, you know, that just falls over. Uh, but could you, could you hibernate it? and triage it and stop the bleeding and just sit it there. And that's what a lot of businesses are doing at the moment. The government's calling it hibernation. Yeah. We'll hibernate it and you just hope that it's not bleeding too much over that three to six month period. And then the final one is obviously one, which is we've got to put this thing into liquidation. So I always think, where are we in those stages? 
and moving through them because sometimes it can be a gradual thing and other times we've seen people move straight into like three and two really quickly. Right, okay. Um, just a touch on when you said about um, the government before, obviously unprecedented times and it's very, very bad, but to see what the government's doing, I personally think it's incredible. It's never been seen before. The GFC, the government, were just handing out money like they are now and patching up everyone's holes. What do you think about it? You've been through it. I'm sure the government just don't say, hey, mate, let's put your mortgage on hold. Let's give you some rental assistance and let's give you a, um, you know, some loans for free or loans that are, you know, are interest-free. Sure, they're doing... Uh, everyone can... You can always do more. You can always do more and it's always got a negative impact on someone's got to pay this money back. But on, on the, the notice the government's had in terms of, hey, look, there's this thing happening in China to, hey, it's in your fucking country and it's getting bad. How do you think they've managed it and how do you think they're treating... Australian businesses. So I'm, uh, for those people that know me, I can be uh, uh, quite hard on politicians sometimes. I yeah. think, you know, politicians could be a lot more bipartisan in what they do. Mate, let us, I want to hear your, I want to hear your uh, I think, opinion. I think, I think p- politicians in general, and you see it in America, you know, you watch CNN and you watch Fox, you might as well be watching two different news channels from different planets, but they're all talking about the same thing. And you even look at it here now, where it's a lot, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's like, well, what are we going to do? So I, I believe more in a bipartisan approach for the good of the people, but I'm a bit of an idealist. So I'm, I'm normally pretty quick to knock um, politicians, but I have to say I am uh, I'm impressed with how quickly they've moved. And what they've done this time, they didn't do last time, is you can do a top-down trickle. It's called a trickle, but it's a trickle. It trickles down. In fact, it doesn't normally get down. They've pumped it in to Main Street. They've gone in and pumped the money straight in to Main Street to you know the 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 the, 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 the people who need the it. The people right who now. need it the most. You know the, the the Aussie battler who's out there doing it tough. They're not working. Last time they did a 2019 top down through the central banks and all that, and it didn't get there. It stayed at the top. So hats off to them. They've moved really quickly. They've done all they can do in this situation. Um, yeah, I I can't fault it. You you do. You do worry, um, and Australia's in a better position than other countries, but you do worry about who's going to pick up the tab and you know what that looks like. And I guess one of the things that I became very passionate about after the last GFC was understanding what caused the last GFC. Um, I actually got to meet a guy. Do you mind if I go off on a tangent? No, here? absolutely, tangent. I, I, got, I got to meet a guy through EO, um, a guy called Tim Sim, and he's got a company called Pacific Equity Partners, right. largest private equity in Australia really smart guy and we got to see him one day and we're sitting in his boardroom and he came down for half an hour to tell us about him and everyone asked him the same boring questions and he got to, he got up to leave and then one of the girls in the group was smart enough to say hey Tim what are you passionate about and I'm gonna kind of chunk it down for you because he stayed for another hour and a half fascinating guy right but he's been really successful he's really well known he's that's cons- like asking you the boss when you're on a tradie site when you want to have half an hour we want to have 10 minutes more smoke out when you're sitting there and you're just like, mate, tell us about the 96 grand final. And he just sits back down. <laughs> he goes, boys, right, let me tell you. Jono, give me an offload. Yeah. That is the no, most like. He did. He, and he was really passionate about it. And he said, um, no, and this guy's been recognised by the Australian government. You know, um, Who's the, the pro- largest private equity in Australia. He's, he's done a lot for Aboriginal communities. Right. Um, affordable housing. You know, he's... He, he's, he's you know, I think he's been given the audit of merit or something like that as well. So he's, you know, he's well known. And um, anyway, so he said three things I'm passionate about. One, sugar is poisoning a generation. 
and diabetes is going to become a real problem too. At the time, Australia had been in a massive uh, you know, fiscal surplus. And then all of a sudden we dropped into a deficit. And he goes, I worry because, not because we're in deficit, because of how quickly and steeply we're going in. And he goes, which brings it on to his next one, which was the US fiscal debt crisis. And I thought, well, what's, what's the US fiscal debt crisis? And he said, look, the reason I care is because, not because I'm going to lose money, um, but because it's going to affect the very fabric of society that we love and take for granted here in Australia and around the Western world. And it, it kind of pinged me between the eyes and I was like, what's he talking about? So I went away and started doing my own homework and I've become obsessed to the point that for the last four years I've just been Googling away and doing my homework on the macroeconomic climate that's been going on for the last 40 years. Right. So essentially what he said is, is America's bankrupt and at some point when they, when, when, not if, when they default on their debt, there's going to be massive implications around the world in the financial markets. Um, so I went away and did my own homework and it's really interesting. So to, I'm, I'm putting this into context because we're talking about what's going on from a health crisis. Yeah. Um, but there's potentially a financial one brewing. And so to give you an idea of what that looks like, uh, America uh, since the 60s has been lifting its fiscal uh, debt ceiling, which means if you and I were in Congress together on left or right, we spend all the money, we then go, we spend all the money, Jack, you go, Tristan, we need some more money. We go to the central bank, we go, here's an IOU, can you print me some more money? And they go, cool. And so our ceiling's gone from say $500,000, we've asked for a million. And then the next president comes in and goes from a million to five and five to 10. And so there's been 67 times in the last- Increases. Increases, which is just, if that was you and I, the bank would have said after number two, thanks fellas, but you're out of business. Yeah. You're right. hopeless. Okay. So, so that's what's been going on. So there's this massive debt accumulated to the point that the global debt is, um, so after World War II, it took 70 odd years to accumulate $100 trillion in debt. Right, and then in the last ten years since the GFC, we've accumulated one hundred and fifty more trillion dollars. So what took seven decades to get to one hundred, we banged out one hundred and fifty in in ten. And now not bad, not bad going, not, not bad going. So we're at two hundred and fifty trillion, right? And and get this, we're on our way to three hundred trillion. And so far, we've we've blown more money in the last month globally than we spent recuperating from World War II, which went on for seven years and 75 million people got killed. So we've, we've just chalked up globally more than what we actually put in place for World War II. So I say that, and it's easy to say, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, there was no other choice to cushion the blow, but at some point- Something you've got to give. For sure. Yeah. And how, what that looks like and when that comes, nobody knows. I don't have a crystal ball, neither do you. Hopefully really... it's after we are uh, long gone. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, to put that into perspective, with what's happening right now, like, it's it's crazy. It's crazy yeah. what's happening right now. And yeah. We've never seen anything like it. No. But then to see something like that play out would be would blow this out of the water. I yeah. Think. Well, what we don't want is we don't want a health crisis to become a financial one. Exactly, which it's sort of becoming already. But to an extent, they're doing the, the, the best they can. 100%. So, but all in all, um, it's, a, it's probably an A. I'd give an A. If I was right. giving a scorecard, it's an A. Right. I'm, a I'm a hard marker. 10. 10. Um, okay, so I think the whole, the whole um, theory behind this podcast is to you know, talk about a subject, your journey, and then get to the end, and then give 
it's aimed at millennials. Millennials are a roadmap on if, if they were passionate about this and if they're thinking the same thing, how can they maneuver or how can they take five key takeaways from this podcast and go and implement them? So let's just say hypothetically, Tristan, you're a, you're a 22 year old, 25 year old guy. You've just started your business last Poor year. Or girl, guy or girl. I don't know if you could be a girl, but <laughs> um, um, you know, you, you started a business 12 months ago and then this shit show has happened and everything you had planned, everything you had dreamed of that was going to happen in the next 12 months is, is no longer, or you think it can no longer happen. So how would you maneuver through this? What would you do? Um, what tips could you give to a business owner, whether they've been in business 20 years or one year? Um, to, to maneuver through this? So the first thing is mindset, right? Mindset is everything. Right. And um, I don't know if you know much, uh, we heard about Stoic philosophy. I haven't. So Stoic philosophy has been around for thousands and thousands of years. It was invented by the Greeks. And two of the great Roman leaders was a guy called Seneca. Right. He was actually one of the richest and wealthiest like Caesars in Rome. And a guy called Marcus Aurelius, who was one of the great generals and became, became Caesar as well. They were both Stoics. And the philosophy of Stoicism is um, whether I have an amazing, privileged, um, powered position of being Caesar or I'm a slave, I look at life no differently, right? And it's a way of being. For, it's, like, it's a bit like Buddhism. Right. And, the, and the, Stoic, the Stoics have a, a saying, which is, um, you know, it's, it's not what happens to me that matters. It's how I frame it um, and how I choose to think about it. So we're all, we've all got stuff happening to us at the moment. Um, it's stressful and we know there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, but the first thing is just to kind of have a mindset where you're like, you know what, we live in a lucky country. No matter what happens, things you know can get rough, but compared to a whole lot of other places in the world, we're still very privileged. More than probably 75% of the world, if I was to say. 100%. So you know, however bad it is, it's never that bad. Um, so then have a positive outlook. And, and the thing around these things is, you know, a lot of people are shutting down. A lot of people, you know, probably, you know, got this fear state. Um, but to stay open-minded and then have a mindset of being able to move forward. And you might not be moving forward, you know, like crushing it and, and, and kicking major goals. But if you're actually just making little progress day by day by day and moving forward and not getting pushed back with the tsunami of bad news or what's going on around you, you're actually moving forward quite quickly compared to... Everybody else going because everyone else is going backwards at such a rapid um, pace. Yeah. So whether they're actually going backwards or whether they're just going backwards in their, their head. head. Yeah. Most of it's in your head. Yeah. So. Yeah. So mindset would be probably number one right now, regardless of anything else happening, good yep. or bad. Yep. Having that strong. Frame to wake up every morning. If you've got an idea, what is one thing you're going to do today, however small, to move you ahead? There's move a great the book needle, called yeah. Atomic Habits, and it talks about the one percent and how the one percent is like. Compound. Compound yeah. interest, yeah. So that little things every day to keep you moving forward. Um, so if you've already got a vision, you've got a business, if you've got one, you know what? If you have to go and get a side hustle, but keep it going, cool. So is everyone else. It's gonna be a whole lot of people doing side hustles over the next 12 months. Right. It's okay. But just know that that's your vision and where you're going, keep it there. And just, you know, if you come home at night and have to do a couple of hours on it, that's okay. The most important thing is that you've got your vision, you've got your, your your picture of what it looks like, and you know where you're going. Because, you know, there's a great sort of cliched saying, but, you know, on the back of every crisis is massive opportunity. And I'm looking at this right now as a massive opportunity. And it's a question of kind of being able to see the dots and see the gold nuggets amongst it 
and 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 move through that and um, and grab the opportunities that are there. So take um, it to your advantage. Yeah, move it to your advantage. And in, in, in traditional industries, you know, we, we talked just a little bit before. I heard you doing your your podcast there between you guys, and you talked about how right now, you know, the real estate industry's being disrupted and people can't go to open for inspections. And yeah, it's massive. Yeah, but that would have never happened, and the real estate industry didn't want it to happen because it benefits from people going to open for inspections because agents meet them, and that's obviously more connections, means more listings, and all the rest of it. But now they've been forced and pushed into doing your virtual tours, only having one-on-one inspections, not bringing 50 buyers to a property where only two of them are really qualified for that property. Totally. So it's, yeah. it's, it's looking And me as the buyer, well. imagine now I can go and do 10 open homes without in having your, to drive in my your car. Own, exactly, in your yeah. own lounge room yeah. while you're drinking save, Corona. Drinking Corona, saving the world. My car's not adding to the you know carbon emissions. Exactly. On the, on, it's just how you frame it. So there's massive opportunity that's gonna happen in this disruption and you've just got to be in the mindset to be able to move through it. Yeah. What about some, let's just say for a business that might have 20 or 30 staff or even 10 staff um, and their revenue's been cut massively, how do you deal with or how do you maneuver through going, fuck, like I want to keep my business running, this is my passion, but I also love my staff, but look, we can't have everything and sometimes staff have to you know, move on. How do you deal with that? Because I'm sure that would have been something that you had to deal with through the GFC. Like it's not an easy thing. Yeah, no, it's tough. It's the hardest part. <laughs> no, it's it's the it's the hardest part. And what I learned about myself, I thought I was quite you know uh, entrepreneurial from the perspective of a um, businessman, and but I was I was a big softy. And my business partner said to me at the time, "Mate, we need to do this. Otherwise, the business is not going to be here. We'll be there won't be a job for anybody." And 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 a, there's a there's a guy who I have a lot of respect for, um, an EO. He's a, he's a trainer and um, Steve used to be involved in fire and he talked about triaging and triaging is about putting your resources and effort for the greater good of the most amount of people. So in a national you know, emergency like a bomb blast or a fire, you're trying to think what's the most number of lives I can save with the resources that I've got and that's kind of how you have to think as a, as a, as a business owner. You're hoping that you can come out the other side and, and be able to give those people jobs back on the other side. But if you try and keep everybody in a job through that time, then there's nothing there, there will be no. And that's what, that's what you know, ScoMo and the team are trying to do, is on the other side, have as many of these businesses coming out the other side to be able to re-employ and go again. Exactly. So, mate, I think, I think that's fucking gold. That's really, really good. You've sometimes got to take the emotion out of it, personal emotion out of it. Um, I've never done it before, I've never experienced it, and I've never been sacked either, which I'm quite blessed. Wow. Um, you haven't lived until you've been sacked, Jack. I, I can sack myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I want to be my own boss. I can't be sacked. I can have a sickie when I want. Just tell the boss I'm having a sickie. Um, so, yeah, I guess what I take from that is take the emotion out of it. Look at the greater good. And look, let's just say if you keep all these people on, the business is, oh, here, look at this. Wow. This is service, Amazing. isn't Appreciate it? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers, bro. Um, you know, if, if you keep all these people and trying to be a nice person, that's what most people do, um, there'll be nothing for anyone. Right, okay. Mate, one more. Give us one more nugget of gold. If, what, think back to the GFC. What was the biggest thing you struggled with through that time with your business? Yeah. Um, and, and tell us about that and how you would do it differently right now. Honestly? Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the things... Honestly. <laughs> So this is with the benefit of hindsight, right? Yeah. But one of the things that's gonna happen through this period, so there's a lot of stimulus packages out there and there's a lot of debt, cheap debt going around right now. 
which which at the time might seem like a lifeline. It's a bit like my leg's broken, give me some morphine. So you put the morphine in your leg, but you I think it's fixed, not broken. Yeah, have, yeah. have I fixed the break? I know what you're gonna say. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. So it's good. So I we we had a couple of million dollar hole that we had to dig out of, and it took us a long time to dig it out, right? And we did like took a long time, but in with the benefit of hindsight, sometimes, and this is also the other thing that I would say to you is listening to a lot of business owners. It's it's it, the money's one thing, but the thing that really hurts is I've put my blood, sweat, and tears into this. And through no fault of my own, you know, this is at risk. And that's the bit that hurts the most to right. go, right? And so with those two things going on, it's, it, you can be very dogged and go, be, you know, be stoic and I'm going to push through this and I'm going to be determined. And by all means, you've got to do that. You've got to, you've got to you know, hustle and hustle and hustle. But if I look back in hindsight, I probably wish that I had cut things earlier and perhaps let it go. We ended up eventually shutting New Zealand down and pivoting back into into Asia, I just wish we'd done it sooner. Right. We got to the other side, saved it, but went, actually, you know what? Yeah, the, the extra year we had or six months. I, we could have been growing Asia at twice the speed. <laughs> right. But then we had this thing around our ankle and it was more around, that's where we started, that's where all our team were, and it was very emotional. The inertia. Yeah, so I wish I'd been less, and I know this is really tough to say, I wish I'd been less emotional about it and just gone, and been able to then pivot and then go, right, time to focus and, right. and, and put my energy into something that's going to create value. And let's just say another thing, where I thought you were going to go on a different path with that. Um, when you were saying there's a lot of cheap money going around, there's the $250,000 um, you know, loan they're going to give to businesses backed by the government. I think what a lot of businesses are going to have to do is look at their business realistically and go, regardless if I come out of this the other side, if I get this $250,000 loan and it cash flows me through, awesome. Is my business really viable on the other side or am I just prolonging something that's indefinitely going to happen? You just hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And and remember, you know, like again, no one's got a crystal ball, but we're at least six months. And I keep saying to people, this is a long game. This is a 12 to 24 month plan because the economy is not just going to fire up again. You know, they talk about a V-bounce. This isn't a V-bounce. This is a U. The question is, how long is the bottom of the U? Yeah. So... You've got to have a plan. So to your point, you can come out, take the loan, get going, and it doesn't kick fire, and you're going deeper into debt along the bottom of that U. And just you prolonging the, the, it's the inevitable. Exactly. You know, but that's a tough thing to to. But that's the trap. That's what you've got to be careful. But it's with. a lot. Imagine like in, in in reality, most people know what's going to happen, but they're just like, no, 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 I'm going to push through this. I'm going to push through this. I'd much rather call it quits here and go. I've given it a crack. Let's go into something else. Then go two years in. You haven't just lost the opportunity cost in that two years. You've also put yourself in another half a million dollars debt yep. that you got to dig yourself out of when you're trying to get into something else. For sure. Yeah. And, and just to kind of, I know we're going to wrap up, but I think ending this on a positive note and back to the millennials. You know, um, one of the greatest gifts that I think um, you can have um, as a leader, and I say this, I've got a four and a half year old son, right? And if there were two superpower gifts that I could wish that he had, one would be resilience. Right. In other words, you are going to get knocked off throughout life. That's a guarantee. It's just how quickly you jump back on the pony and keep going. Yeah. So it's sort of you know those that do and those that don't. And the other one is empathy. And in these times, you know, we've got a lot of people we're going to know. And and, and I think as a leader, when you have resilience and you have empathy, that's going to go a long way in life. So you know, um, show some empathy to everyone else around you. 
um, and be resilient for those millennials out there. If we are going to go through some tough times, but if you can, you know, navigate that, keep your dream alive, keep the business, the venture with the vision might only be an idea at the moment, but just keep that positive outlook that it's possible to move through that. Um, the world's your oyster on the other side of this thing. Just know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you just might not see it right now. Love it, brother. Mate, that was gold. I think there's a lot of people that I find like practical value in that right now. Awesome. So, mate, appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me, Jack. Mate, unreal. Let's keep our one and a half metres and uh, get into a couple of these Ronas, Cheers, eh? Cheers, brother. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Fuck, I forgot that one. Uh, oh, yeah. We always got to give uh, the guests... We cheers too early. We cheers after this again. Uh, if you could ask me a question that you think someone will, or you'll get value out of or someone else will get value out of, what would it be? That was a, I mean, I forgot about that. Well done. Okay. Yeah, I mate. always give my guests the opportunity yeah, to no, ask me a question. Look, um, as you know, a lot of a lot of uh, I've got a lot of good friends um, who I hang out with. It's part of entrepreneurs organisation. They're in property. Um, so my question would be, uh, through this crisis and what's going on at the moment, yeah. Um, you know what what opportunities do you see through this, and more importantly, on the other side of this, when it comes to real estate as an asset class. Um, Every single market's going to be different and every single price point's going to be different because people are going to feel it at different levels. Um, the thing we're going to take out of this, I believe, is when we get to the other side, we're going to see the good real estate from the bad real estate. So something to take notice of in a time like this is things that are selling in the shittest time we've had in however long are things that are going to fucking fly when it comes good again. Right. So that's something I really take notice of. So even the last 18 months when we had a bit of a shit market, wasn't even that bad. But when lending got tight, there were still things selling very, very quickly. And that's what you take notice of. Why are these things selling like they are? Right. Because we've got a shit market, there's no buyers out there, but this has been on market two days and it's gone. So take notice of that. Take notice of why they're selling, what they're, why they're selling, why people are um, you know, favoring that property over that property. Um, and then when you come out the other side of this, you'll see those properties that you, you've, you've taken notice and gone, oh, okay, that sold really well. And then all of a sudden it'll come back and they'll be, now you know the properties that outperform the rest. Oh, yeah. And that, that's the biggest thing to take notice of. What's going to happen, nobody knows. No. But if you can buy a property 10% cheaper than you could have bought it six weeks ago, it's you're still getting 10% discount. Even if the market drops 30%, and it's not going to drop that every like in every property and every price point. But even if it does, you've still got a ten percent discount on what it was, and it's going to go back to that regardless if you think it is or not. Um, timing the market never works. This is a lot of people going. I'll sit on the fence and wait for this to you know wait for this to uh, yeah. ride it out, and I'll grab it at the bottom and I make a million bucks. No, you won't because no one ever does that. And if everyone could do it, everyone would be squillionaires. Um, <laughs> so these are the things I'm hearing every single day. You know, I'm yeah, going to time the market. I'm going to wait for it to bottom out. Um, but the biggest thing for me is like I just said is really take notice of what sells right now because if something's selling well in a shit time when it gets the good times it's got the hockey stick opportunity well, you, you, you know like if it's selling there and imagine what it's going to be like when there's yeah things are hot like, yeah, right. you know? yeah that's the biggest thing that i i really take notice of cool. in these times awesome yeah and then i think um it's not so much it, i guess it is directed to property the the importance of, of affluence and controlling your own income in these times so people who right now have lost their jobs as sad as it is those people live in generally areas that are you know lower socioeconomic to somewhere that's got a higher median price that's just that's just fact and these these people are going to be the, the people who feel that you know if they're renting they're going to feel the the need to not pay their rent and they're going to feel the need to sell in a hurry or, or like all of the, the people who are, are generally not controlling their own incomes or not 
um, hire an affluence are the people who feel this sort of stuff first. So you'll, you'll notice a difference between good quality property and bad quality property. So that's that's two takeaways that I'm going to... You'll really see it. And then predictions as well. I, I spoke about it and I've been speaking about it quite a lot. People who predict shit. We're going to have 10% this year, 20% next year, minus six. No one fucking knows. It's all no. bullshit. Yeah, it is. They're just keeping themselves in a job. It's, it, no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And if anyone can predict fucking what's going to happen in the next 10 years then they'd be the richest people in the world. It's yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Like I, I go off history and go, okay, let's look back at a time like GFC. And this, this time's going to be a good time to look at. Yeah. What fared well during that time? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a good indicator. Yeah. Well, you've it's got, you've it's got, resilient I've, at the end I've, of the day. I've done a bit on macroeconomics and, you know, there aren't many economists in the world that know what knows what happens when we get to 0% interest rates. So everybody's in unch- uncharted territory. It's, it's everyone guessing and they're just keeping themselves in a job. Like I, yeah. I don't pretend to know when I even spoke to a protest prospective client today and I said I'm not going to predict what's going to happen and I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen because I don't yeah. fucking know but yeah. if I use history I know when we come out of this it's going to be good times yeah. so there's, uh, there's my card alright awesome. boom <laughs>